Welcome back to another episode of Whose Philbography Is It Anyway? As always, I am one of your hosts, Steve, and today we are getting off the Wes Anderson Darjeeling train, and we have found our way to Camp Crystal Lake, and we need to watch out, because Jason is on the loose. We are getting off, all right. We're getting off, oh, well, no, because <laughs> that's how you die in these movies. With me, as always, is my co-host and friend, Josh Page. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, as always, for that lovely introduction. This is wonderful. Uh, yes, folks, believe it or not, Stephen and I have uh, stooped to a new high. We are or really reaching low. for the... We're depends, reaching, depends how you look at it. This is true, based on the behaviors of the counselors at Camp Crystal Lake. But yes, we have arrived. <laughs> we have decided to tackle Friday the 13th. For those of you who don't like horror, I'm so sorry. It's this only is for a be, month, so... Yes, this is... This is our first, um, let us toast to our first annual, well, hopefully it can be annual. This is our first uh, horror-themed October uh, podcast that you and I are doing. Since very are, spooky. Very, very spooky, absolutely. Since Stephen and I are We're both- We're in a spooky oh, Mormon hell dream right now. We are in a spooky Mormon hell dream, as Trey and Matt would say. Um, they, uh, since Stephen and I are both big uh, horror fans, we decided to pay our respects. We flipped a couple coins and we landed on Friday the 13th. Um, more or less in a nutshell. So, uh, yes, we're going to yes, tackle Yes, but uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, Josh and I, for the purposes of this episode, well, for this topic, decided we're going to change up the format a little bit. So, in order to crunch the Friday the 13th movies into one month, what we have decided to do is to double up on episodes w within one episode. And we'll still have the ranking at the end, don't worry. But uh, in order to get two episodes done in one episode, we are going to change up the format as well. And I think, or hope, that you'll enjoy it. I don't want to yes. give it away because no spoilers in this one. No spoilers, although uh, um, the main spoiler, I mean, well, I mean, we'll get the wrong. Well, I guess, there, fine. We're, you've spoiler warning for we're we're giving us all right, all right listen listen we're give, listen we're giving obligatory spoiler warnings until we feel deemed unnecessary if this you don't our... know that jason kills kids in this movie don't but, listen to the podcast but does jason kill kids in this movie or is it someone else who kills kids in this movie he kills the well he kills them in part two right, so this is your official spoiler warning. If you're, you're listening, you want to watch. I don't know if you haven't the seen Voorhees these films. The Voorhees are a very fun family. Yes, the Voorhees are a fun family. Fun time uh, at the little camp. You know, we will we, we'll call attention as we uh, open up the discussion. But basically, um, uh, Stephen and I were just calling calling back to uh, the 1996 film scene uh, when Drew Barrymore's on the phone with the killer. And he says he'll, uh, you know, he's playing games with her on the phone. And, and he says uh, his first trivia question, is, or one of the trivia questions he says is, name the killer on Friday the 13th. And she says, Jason, she's crying. And her, her boyfriend, uh, Jock, 
character is tied up out back and, and says, um, I'm sorry, that's the wrong answer. She says, no, it, uh, no, it's Jason. I've seen that movie 20 goddamn times. And then the killer says, but then you should know that uh, Jason's mother, Mrs. Voorhees, was the original killer. Jason didn't show up until the sequel. I'm afraid that's the wrong answer. So, um, yes, uh, Scream, which would later um, pay homage, but also to not just Friday the 13th, but other slasher films. Um, we will get to the connection about that movie later. Absolutely. But, and, Josh, um, but this opens up the, the doorway. So, yes, here we are. But, yes, Stephen. Tell me. What was the first time you saw this movie? Uh, so the first time I saw this movie was many moons, many full moons ago. Um, I was, a, I don't know what age, I don't know how old I was. I was in college and I had just really been diving into horror movies as a genre for the first time. And I uh, had stumbled upon AMC Pure Fest. It's an annual thing they do for about two, three weeks in October. And they do marathons of all kinds of horror movies. And um, I don't know, it was, I don't know what year it was, but they were doing their marathon. A lot of years, how many years years. have, how many years have they been doing this? A lot of years. And basically there was um, uh, one of the years they were doing a Friday 13th marathon. Uh, They do Halloween marathons, Chucky marathons. And it's pretty cool. How far did they go with uh, the Friday 13th marathon? Did they do all of them? So they would do them like where they would do in a day, they would do a marathon where they do like part one through eight or they would do part or part one through six. And the next day would pick up like a little bit, like seven through 10. And it's just, um, sometimes they would skip the remake. Sometimes they'd skip Freddy vs. Jason. So I had seen them all kind of out of order. Um, I actually didn't see the original Friday the 13th first. I don't even remember the first full movie I watched. Um, it was one of the sequels and I was like, Oh, this is like way too good. I got to see this from the beginning. So there was this kind of this blur when I was watching AMC fear fest and eventually I caught them all. Um, and it was really wild cause I would just kind of sit there and just binge watch. And it was great cause I would DVR the movies too, especially the ones I hadn't seen. And then I would fast forward through the commercials and I would just get right back. Now it's funny because I was watching them on AMC, which is cable television. So the first time I saw these movies, a lot of the violence cuts away. So I like feel like I was cheated away a little bit from movies such as these. I, I, I really hate watching certain movies on cable. It like on AMC, because you mentioned it specifically, this is yep. nothing to do with Friday the 13th, but like whenever Goodfellas or, the Godfather play on it. I'm it's like, terrible. I'm like, it's great that it's on, but when you watch Goodfellas specifically and they have to cut around the word fuck, it's like a completely different movie. I, you know, it's not the same without Joe Pesci cursing his uh, ass off, you know? I just want to chime in a few weeks ago. I don't know if it was AMC or Paramount or another network was playing Wolf of Wall Street. And out of pure curiosity, I flipped to it. There's like no way to do that movie without the cursing. It was the last 40 minutes more than the cursing. It's just even with the actuality and the, uh, just the explicit, I mean, there's so much explicit behavior and dialogue. And I, it was like the last 40 minutes hour or so. And I turned to it just out of sheer curiosity. And of course, even a censored version of the movie still roped me and you know, I, it's still so good. But like at the same time, like so almost every single scene consisted of dialogue that was completely mutilated. And I'm just like, this is absolutely not how this scene's supposed to go. But, um, but we digress, <laughs> but uh, we, we digress. Um, 
they they cut away to a lot of the kills. It wasn't until years later where I would rewatch the movies either on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, or see them on other networks or streaming services that would have them uncut. I'm like, oh, this is what this scene is supposed to look like. It's great. Um, and like I was telling um, Robin last night, we were I was watching uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Two and where the girl <laughs> where the girl goes skinny dipping, which you and I will get to, but she's she runs into the lake and she's completely nude and I'm like hey I remember watching the scene for the first time in AMC and it's just a flesh-colored blur that's covering her body as she runs into the lake and I'm like this is like kind of silly you know what I mean but that was that was my open that was my introduction to these movies it was kind of like it was but at the same time I'm like you know what it made me appreciate it more when I was able to see it for what it was completely unedited and uncut later on but um I could no it, well it may blow your mind to find out that they actually put in the naked body in post what you actually that blur of a body is actually her real body that was actually the real woman that was actually the real woman she has Uh, this crazy disease that turns her body into blurs there's a real thing out there that turns bodies into blurs and i've seen it and i gotta tell you folks it's wild so it gets real bad when it hits your face and your voice modulates down i can imagine this day and age has been very confusing to see um but please tell the folks at home what was your what your first experience with any of these any of these films. Um, I believe that my first time watching Friday the Thirteenth. Actually, I know my first time watching Friday the Thirteenth was Halloween, uh, my freshman year of college because I was like really sick, and I couldn't go out with friends and I was like I'll just go like I'm not gonna like hold you up on my account I like I think I had the flu I was literally vomiting all day um god but uh what's it called so I just figured while everyone was out what's like a stupid fun movie that I could watch that I never watched before and it took me till freshman year of college but I watched it and uh that's really the whole story. It's more disgusting than uh, enjoyable, I guess. But hey, disgusting I guess that's the epitome the of these movies, right? Oh, yes, disgusting, to say the least. <laughs> All right. So. Wonderful. You want to get into pre-production, production, all that jazz? Yes. Um, we will, uh, yeah, let's dive into uh, Friday the 13th, part one. Part 1980. one. 1980. The budget was five hundred and fifty thousand dollars oh my god i'm so used i'm so used to have you so used to you and i having our nolan and wes anderson talk of it's just like oh it was was only five million and this much whatever nine twelve million it's always funny because it's like a roller coaster the the budgets build up and then they just drop again anytime we get to a new topic I love it. It's great. I forget how much Wes Anderson and Nolan. No, Nolan's first movie was only nine thousand dollars. So like following. Yeah. Was only nine thousand. Isn't that what we said? Oh, check the tape. I don't know, man. Uh, just... Anyway, this movie made a lot more than following. Friday the Thirteenth made fifty nine point eight million dollars. A so, box office uh, smash. That's what, uh, if, for anyone who's seen the movie Network and remembers Robert Duvall's line, that's what he calls big, oh. fat, big-titted hit. <laughs> to, to say the least. To say the least. That's, that's what they want. Uh, this will not surprise anyone, but the idea 
for this movie actually stemmed from Halloween? Um, yeah, so I don't know who Victor Miller is. Uh, he is the writer of the movie. He is the writer. Yes, that's. I'm sorry. Yes, so Victor Miller admitted that it was one of the top trivia effects. Victor Miller admitted that he was purposely writing the success of John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, that, that, that question to me, I think plays into a lot of what this movie does. Um, and I think that is because like, uh, uh, fans at home will come to find that Stephen and I are very big Halloween fans. John Carpenter's Halloween is one of my favorite movies of all time. And you, you, you watch that movie and you watch Friday the 13th and it's, it's, I mean, it's a, it's clearly the, this Friday the 13th is clearly aping the entire style of, of Halloween, but what they're doing is they're explicitly focusing on that, which John Carpenter cut away from. Um, you watch the original Halloween, there's not a drop of fake blood and they intentionally wanted to make it a slasher without any blood to make you, to create more of an, of a psychological effect to make you feel like you witnessed a bloodbath. Whereas like Friday the 13th is, is explicitly going for more of the gore, the sex or the violence. They're kind of like, taking everything Halloween did and they're like, Hey, now it's really in your face. So it's funny that like these movies became as successful as they did because they show what audiences want. I mean, I know that I cater to this kind of senseless uh, violence and whatever, what do you want to call it? Whatever parents will call it destructive media, whatever you gore want to porn. label this. Yeah. Gore porn. You know what I mean? This is this, these are the movies that predated a lot of trash that would come later and inspire a lot of slasher. Well, this is what um, inspired a lot of slasher movies for sure. Right. Um, and so it's funny that it was Halloween that's at the bar. Like someone watched someone out there watched Halloween. It was like, I'm going to do this, but like in a cheaper way. And it like, it worked, you know? Yeah. So. Well, the writer, Mr. Miller was, uh, working with Sean S. Cunningham, who would direct the movie. Now, for the Scream connection, he actually worked with with Wes Craven on The Last House on the Left beforehand. That kind of makes sense. And, of course, because of that movie, he built up a reputation along with Wes to be, like, great for cheap, disgusting horror movies. Yeah, yeah. So him and Miller saw Halloween. Cunningham and Miller saw Halloween. Said we could do this like yeah absolutely we could do this so sean put an ad in variety magazine when it was a magazine now it's just a website but back in the day <laughs> back in my day back in my day it used to come <laughs> to your door um but back when it was a what's it called back when it was a magazine uh sean put an article put an ad in there it just read friday the 13th the bubble letters crashing through glass. Uh, and it said the scariest movie ever made. And, and it got people's attention because yeah. Paramount and Warner brothers had a bidding war for the movie and Paramount won, And they got, they got national uh, distribution. Warner brothers got international distribution. So they went to the casting director, Barry Moss, who was able to find these kids they said that they were looking for kids that were like, these are just like literally kids. This is their first job. They wanted like the excitement of a first job. on Including, including the Baconator. Well, Bacon had already done four movies previously. Well, he was a star you know, from Animal House by this point. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> I always forget about that. But he, you know, they got him. Alice was a commercial actress. But another newcomer 
was Harry Crosby. He was an actor. And do you know who that is? Wait a minute. The name is ringing a bell. That is Bing Crosby's son. <laughs> no. It can't be. It is. It is Bing Crosby's son. He is in this. He's an actor in this movie. Wait a minute. Yeah, the, he literally known for the first bill that comes up is Friday the 13th. Yeah. That's, oh, he's this, oh, he's that asshole. He's, um, no, he's not who I'm thinking of. The only, like, kind of known actress was Betsy Palmer, who played Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah. And she was known for, like, a lot of smaller roles. Uh, I don't even know any. Uh, but she was always cast as, like, the girl next door. And she said that uh, she was looking to prove that she's not the girl next door. Her actual quote was, there wasn't a gal that lived next door to me that I ever wanted to be like. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, she she said the reason for she did this movie in general was because she wanted a new car. And that's really funny. She did. She read the script. (laughs) She she literally said she read the script. She said, this is awful. She said it's garbage that no one's ever going to see. So why not do it and get a car? <laughs> That's, that is, I don't know. I can't think on the top of my head of, of other times that similar situations has like that have happened. But like, that's so funny that she had that reaction. The fact that she had, she was, she's actually a, a good actress. She's actually like the best person to come out of this movie in terms of acting. Like I just, for me anyway, it's just like when she spoke, I'm like, oh, I believe this person. Where everyone else is kind of like, they're just flaunting their their young teenage lines. And I'm like, okay, I, I mean, anyone could have done this. Someone's dog could have done this. But like uh, Betsy Palmer, it's funny, like she like kind of like delivers it. And I'll, I'll dive more into this, but it's like she delivers it in like a believable way. So it's funny for her to have that mindset thinking like, yeah, no one's gonna watch this. And it like grossed so much money. Um, that's sure. very I just me. hope she got uh, some points on the side. Anyway, oh, you'd hope so, but it was filmed in Blairstown, New Jersey, on a Boy Scout, uh, like a closed-down Boy Scout camp. Like I was they had to say... literally wait for the kids to go back to school before <laughs> they could film. Um, I was gonna say New Jersey. It's it's called. It was called Camp Not Be Bosco. Yes, that's for North Bergen no, Boy sorry. Scouts. Sorry, Noby Bosco. Yeah. North um, Bergen Boy Scouts. That's what it like stands for. Right. Uh, the camp is still in operation, and it has a wall of a, of the, of a Friday the 13th mural in, to honor the movie that was set there. Very so obviously, <laughs> you imagine sending your kids to this camp. Like, by the way, they filmed an iconic slasher there that's filled with trashy uh tropes that would set the bar for uh tons of slashers to come um um so they rehearsed the fighting uh mrs Voorhees and alice they had to like rehearse it apparent because apparently they were using like real props like the poker was like a literal metal poker (laughs) that doesn't surprise me And, and apparently um when, you know, at the end, when Mrs. Voorhees is slapping Alice, apparently yeah, yeah, yeah. there was one scene where uh, the actress really, like, smacked her right in the face, and Alice, like, freaked out. I mean, uh, she's hanging, hanging Kevin McAllister on the door, and she goes to bite his finger off, for real. And now uh, Macaulay Culkin has a scar on his finger from when Joe Pesci tried to, you know, bite his finger off. Oh, wait, there's... I'm sorry. Equally I'm, I'm... a sociopathic. <laughs> My mind uh, 
got a little sidetracked there. Um, so uh, Tom Savini came in gonna, to do the prosthetics. I was going to mention him if you didn't, but... Um, yeah, he worked with George Romero previously. And the lengths to which this man went to make this movie work are astounding. So uh, there's an entire documentary on Shudder about Tom Savini. He is one of he's easily one of the godfathers of horror because of the amount of work that he's put in to the horror industry. I mean, he is responsible for the Night of the Living Dead 1990 remake, which is actually pretty good, if only for its like production value alone, like the amount of like gore and like um, real prosthetics that went in there was all him. Like that man was like born to do horror. Anytime you see his name attached to something, even if the movie's trash, like it'll be known to have some kind of visual pop in the horror genre. He's just, he's one of those, uh, those gargantuans in the industry. So um, he was instrumental in this. So, yeah, he, like I said, though, he went to crazy lengths to make this movie work. Let me tell you a story. So, <laughs> tell me you, a story. Know, you know, Kevin Bacon's death in the movie where the arrow comes out from under the bed and stabs him through the throat. Absolutely. They can only do it once, literally once, because of the budget of this movie. The arrow goes through the neck, and the pump that Savini is working, like using, is not working. It won't put the it won't push the blood through. So Savini pushes it through it by himself. He like he breathes it through, and he comes out from under the bed covered in blood. It's amazing. And that the amazing part is it's not fake blood. What they used was sheep blood. Oh, no. So he's literally covered in sheep blood. Yo, that's next level. That's Yo, what I'm that's, saying. That's dedication, because that's the kind of story that would, like, if that happened to the wrong person, they would walk off and be like, I'm never doing this again. You know what I mean? But, like, that's someone who loves the crap so much that it's, like, it's so admirable. Yeah. Uh, the last person I want to mention is Harry... Manfredini? Manfred. Okay. Harry Manfred. Um, <laughs> My Manfred. He was the composer of the movie. And obviously this has an iconic score. Because uh, it has the... K -k 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 -k. Yeah, so yeah, apparently yeah. where uh, he got that from, the composer got that from, was he took the kill her mommy at the end. So he just took the k and the ma from that sentence and put them wow. through a synthesizer and it would echo. That's really funny because that even that sound effect has been lampooned and mis I don't want to say misquoted. It's not a real quote, but it's kind of like it's been kind of like um, misinterpreted over the years. I mean, like I've always known it as the ch -ch -ch -ch. but it's really like you can, especially rewatching it. I'm like, that's not how the sound is. It's definitely more of a and then more of a like there's like. It, it makes more sense based on what you're saying. Um, and that's really funny because that that became the sound effect, if not the score. I guess you could call it a score a piece. Um, I feel that, like that part is interesting, but I feel like the rest of the score literally felt like psycho, you know? I want it. It's so funny. Well... Of course, you were going to mention. I, I was going to I was going to bring that up because when I heard it, I know I it wasn't until part two 
where I really like the strings and I'm like, someone is channeling Psycho here. Yeah, it literally has a dun 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 Like, it it was very much like Psycho. It was good. It's good because it amps me up, but like, it's the same. I don't want to dive too much into this, especially until final thoughts, but like, it's the same reason why like, these movies are trash because they like lampoon and ape and like, mimic all their predecessors but that's also what makes like a lot of movies tick like there are people out there who know friday the 13th for exactly what it does but like most of what why it works is because it's just ripping off of other things they're just kind of like spinning it all to get all together to do their own thing with it yeah well honestly like this movie is the reverse psycho if you think about it you know instead of the child being instead of the child sharing a body with his mother, the mother shares a body with the child in this one. It's pretty deep, dude. You know what I'm I, saying? I literally never thought about that. I've never even... The the mother-child connection, especially... It's funny, because I was thinking about it today, and I'm like, man, this movie kind of reminds me of Psycho with the score and the violins, and I'm like, but, like, it's so trashy, and it's so sleazy, and I'm like, but, like, there's something about it that echoes that, that like... I'm doing it for a, a, a parental connection. I'm doing it for family, whatever. Like, there's like it's a, all about family. It's all about family. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Pamela Voorhees ripped off the mask. It was Vin Diesel. Like, it's got to be about family. That's why I'm killing you all. Um, but like, it's funny you say that. Like, that's oh man, it's pretty brilliant. Um, but I digress. So, Josh, you ready to get into the plot? Uh, let's get into the plot, Stephen. All right, a bunch of horny kids go to Camp Crystal Lake, and slowly, one by one, they get murdered. At the end, they find out it's Mrs. Voorhees. She gets decapitated. Then Jason pops out of the water. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't. It was just a dream. Or was it? Or was it? The end. The end. Uh, Steven, so, (laughs) final thoughts. (laughs) I'm sorry. Josh Um, and I decided that the plots for these movies are a little thin, repetitive. Thin, shall we say? Repetitive. They're extremely thin. Like you can see, if you were holding up a slice of cheese, you could see through the slice of cheese. It would just look like a. It's like a slice of life. Um, so instead, Josh and I decided to steal the format from our uh, ranking episodes. We'll give away five awards this time. And I'm excited about this. We'll uh, break it down. Do you want to tell the good people what the five awards are? The five yes. awards. Yes. So to? correct me if I'm wrong, please. But here's the order that we have: is best kill, obviously, yep. best chase. Yeah, there's a bunch of chase scenes in these movies. Best weapon, uh, worst character, or I've also deemed most deserving victim. We want to look at it. Okay. Uh, and best quote. Uh, I think these are all valid categories. Um, I don't know if you take the first one away. Tell me what was your, what was the best kill in part one? So part one, uh, for me, it's kind of obvious. Uh, you, you already mentioned it. Spoiler alert. Uh, I'm going to go with the Kevin Bacon kill. Um, I think that the arrow through the neck in post coital bliss in any horror movie, you just like it's i don't know it's a very unique and specific death 
I love it. It gets me every time. I know that everyone has talked about it, but like, it's, it's great. It, every single time I watch it, I'm like, this doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel fake. It's legit. It's great. I'll disagree. I, I do love that you see this man hand that what I guess is supposed to be Mrs. Voorhees, but like, I don't know, like it's just a cool death. I will say I should have done this in a different order, but I didn't. So everyone can go fuck themselves. Um, I will say that my runner-up was the Mrs. Voorhees decapitation. I that mean, that is a... my pick. Okay, so I'll let you speak in a sec. I'm, I'm promise I'm going to wrap it up. But the my Mrs. Voorhees decapitation was my runner-up. The runner-runner-up was Marcy with the axe to the face. I I laughed my ass off when that happened because of the way that it's edited. She screams, and all of a sudden there's the light and the axe, and she's like, all of a sudden she got the axe to the face, but. The prosthetics of that scene, the way that they actually made it look like an axe to her face, actually is very convincing. Um, well, the, um, just a funny acting. story if you want to hear about that. Savini, Absolutely. When he was when he read the script, he asked uh, Sean Cunningham, "Now, do you want a fake face and a fake axe, or do you want a real face and a real axe?" <laughs> and uh, they ended up with it. The axe is made of styrofoam. Sure. So that's great. My well, please, pick is yeah, Mrs. So. Voorhees. Okay. Because just the way that the hands just continuously are like gripping at nothing that's after so she good. has been decapitated for at least like 30 seconds, like it holds on that frame of her fingers just like gripping at nothing. And it had me laughing hysterically. It's a very strange choice. <laughs> That is Savini, by the way. Yeah, he's good. I mean, uh, I tell you, anytime you see his name, be on the lookout. He's he's really good at what he does. So if you want to know who has been cast the most in this movie, it is Mrs. Voorhees' hands, because at least three different actors have played those. Is that right? I don't know. I imagine. Oh, oh I thought you were spitting real fact. You were very nice. Well, Mrs. Voorhees played her own hands. Savini play, like, played her hands. <laughs> and uh, at the person who played... Uh, Jason and slit the people's necks. Yeah, that was definitely not her. Um, She's probably I, on set for like a day. I will say, I, I had to bring this up. I knew I had to bring this up, at least with part one, is that awful lot of suspension of disbelief to believe that Mrs. Voorhees, nothing against women, I'm not saying she's not strong, to be able to take down all of these people hurl the body through the window with the ropes around it and the... No, what got me with that one is not, that, like, I don't know, maybe she set up some sort of catapult system for that, but what really boggled my mind was how she somehow threw the body through the window and literally two seconds later she's driving down the road in Paul's car and you're like, that thing was at least like three miles away. How the fuck did you <laughs> walk all the way there and drive back all in time to throw a body through the window? Like, I'm not suggesting Mrs. Voorhees isn't strong or fast or powerful, or whatever. She's a, she's a, whatever she's a, she's an, a determined woman. She's angry. She's a mad mom. I get it. You want to stay clear of those, but like, you look at this movie knowing it's Mrs. Voorhees and you're like, something doesn't add up here. These deaths just don't add up. And the time frame doesn't add up. But at the same time, 
I guess they weren't thinking about continuity and how audiences of 2020 would be responding. Yes, <laughs> not. So um, let's get but to I digress. Best chase. Yes, you take it away. For my best chase, I went with Brenda because it was almost a reverse chase. And I found that like clever because instead of her, like Voorhees chasing Brenda, she like chased herself into the trap yeah, 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 and yeah. got killed with the arrows. It was a... And I like the fact that it was a callback with the arrows, too. But yeah, no, that's good. That's that's by choice. That's fine. Um, my I went with uh, Mrs. Voorhees chasing Alice at the end. Of course. Uh, the, it's cliche, my, but my runner-up was Annie, the hitchhiker, being chased into the woods before she has her throat slit. Um, that girl was dumb. She was terrible, but I liked the little anticipation. I'm like, oh, she's going to get it. And then she sure did. Um, you know, you look at uh, behind the scenes. I've seen all the behind, I've seen so much behind the scenes of these movies. And it, they talked about how uh, the actress, she's like, they set up a thing with a fake neck where all she had to do is like tilt her head back and it would look like blood. It would, it would make the blood, fake blood drip down her throat. I thought that was cool. A uh, little chaser in the woods. I thought it was fine. Um, yeah, I guess I'll go through with Mrs. Voorhees chasing Alice at the end. Yeah, it's cliche, but I digress. Uh, and, uh, what's your pick for weapon? Best next, weapon. Next will be interesting. Um, <laughs> another cliche. I'm going to go with the arrow through the neck for Kevin Bacon. That's my pick as well. I so just, we're I can't. I, I'm very glad about this. I can't, I, I just can't elaborate enough. It's just very clever. Like you just see, like how do you expect that? That's literally a, the word I was going to say too. It's just very clever. Like, it's very clever. How do you expect an arrow through the neck? And that one is just like funny too, because you think about the technicalities. Mrs. Voorhees had to be under the bed while they fucked. Like there's there just is so much no way wrong that it could this. have happened otherwise. <laughs> there's so much wrong trying to break down how it all happened, but also there's a corpse on top of that with the bunk on top. Which, uh, uh, yes, we'll which, get to. What was with the candles in this movie? Why is everyone walking around in candlelight? Like, <laughs> are, are we channeling Bram Stoker and old Dracula Frankenstein days? I mean, it's really a I lot. I guess. Literally, everyone is like, they're literally carrying a candle. Like, their Ebenezer Scrooge all of a sudden. <laughs> what year is it? This is 1980. Use a goddamn flashlight. <laughs> It's oh, come so much on, man. easier than a fucking candle. Why are you using candles? That's wonderful. Um, wonderful. Anyway, the um, arrow through the neck had to be mine, too. I just thought I, it was the most clever of all it's the so clever. weapons. I mean, I guess... Like, of course, you expect an axe and a machete to be a weapon. Like, of but, course. And even an arrow, it's like, he's not shooting an arrow. He's They're, they're ramming it through the neck. It's just... it's. I don't know how plausible it is. I don't know how strong those arrows are, but it's a clever death. I just I like that it. That it the arrow needs to be strong. It's that the person needs to be really strong because you're literally working with no momentum upward. Like you're get like maybe like two inches. You gotta. You've got a a bed, a person, and then you're putting the hand over and you're driving an arrow through the bed, through the person, through their neck. Yeah, I mean you gotta have a lot. I mean that's why I'm saying I'm like no no disrespect to Mrs. Voorhees. I'm not saying she's not strong, but goddamn. I think she's very strong. We she has to be ample evidence. All right, for uh, worse. <laughs> character i'm gonna go with this was uh, i'm gonna give my runner-up first actually the runner-up <laughs> it was the police officer because he was just so ridiculous 
Um, he reminded me of the book, the the library cop from Seinfeld, who literally had to give like a turnaround and like quick response, like, "All right, tough guy." Like every time, "Hey, tough guy." You may think it's funny, but this is that, and like every time but my actual answer is ralph because he was just like crazy ralph he was so absurd <laughs> you're doomed although i, I don't want to give that, that i don't want to give away my next stuff but go on uh no 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 but my it's funny you say that because my runner-up was crazy ralph uh the you're doomed stuff the all doom and gloom and all that jazz dude like, what are you doing in a fucking closet like food closet how did you get there and why are you just standing in there how long were you in that closet i have so many questions when he shows up later in the movie i'm like how did you get here how long have you been following these children why are you so concerned that they're doomed just let the kids do their underage partying and let them get murdered you warned them already like, warned them. Move on. Warn the next group of kids, as we would see in the next movie. Jesus Christ. So but who's he, your actual answer? He was my runner-up. My, my worst character, I said, was, or most deserving victim, I said, was Ned. The trickster. Uh, oh, Ned was an asshole. When he the shot the who, arrow at her, like, dude. It's, he pretends to drown. He pulls gags. Yeah, that's some real he's, sandwich. He's the real, like, he's the, he's the, like, <clears throat> come on, dude. Like, really? Like, Come on, like I get there's always gonna be the stupid character, but I watched that and I was like, all right, this you know what dude it is? he's the real like he's the time capsule right there. Like in twenty twenty, just like all of his ex- all of his behavior is like unacceptable. Completely like, unacceptable. <laughs> but please take it away. Uh send us off with your best quote for Friday thirteenth. Uh, so I have a couple for one of them, it's the cop again. It's, I told you to sit on it, Tonto. <laughs> Ridiculous. I love it. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't make a note of that. That's a, I remember. <laughs> That's a I, I'll go back to Ralph, though, for uh, another quote. You'll never come back again. It's got a death curse. <laughs> It's oh, got a death curse. I, but, oh, uh, fucking Ralph. But I guess my actual answer is don't let her get away, mommy. Don't let her live. I want, I won't, Jason. I won't. Because that's like when you really find out that this woman's fucking nuts. Um, That's really funny you say that because my, I don't have a runner up. I just, I just, there were so many, like I told you, I, I don't know if I, I told you off air, I was saying I was cracking up watching these movies because there's, there's so much of it I just forgot. But um, the only quote I could really land on was Mr. Voorhees' final quote. The, did you know a young boy drowned here? Those, uh, uh, the year before those two others were killed, the counselors weren't paying attention. They were making love uh, while that boy, young boy drowned. His name was Jason, yada, yada, yada. And Mrs. Voorhees' final monologue is great because it sets up like, the iconic character that would later come. You know what I mean? I just love that it's not quite like a, a Star Wars... Um, let him drown. Misinterpretation. <laughs> Where people think that it... Like, people think it, it goes a certain way, but it doesn't. You know, it's not like a... Uh, I don't really know what I'm saying. It's like not like a Luke, I am your father, where it's just a, I am your father. It's like where people think Jason's the killer. It's the same reason why Drew Barrymore got it wrong in Scream. 
Um, I love that she sets up this thing where that no one could have known at the time that what this would have become. You know what I mean? No. And, you know, you definitely know that it's her immediately because, like, how are you driving the camp counselor's car? How are you not right, like, right, freaking right. out? Like, all Absolutely. the clues literally, like, anyone who's seen Scooby-Doo knew it was her. But yeah, yeah, yeah. In so few lines, you gave her enough reason to do it where, like, she's telling you, my son drowned here and I went fucking crazy. Like, I obviously don't know I'm crazy, but I am crazy. That's basically it. Yeah. I love it. So I think it's it's a wonderful way to drive it home. What a wonderful world. What a wonderful world this could be. You ready to get into part two? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. The day you count on for terror is not over. Friday the 13th, part two, rated R. Let's, uh, let's dive into this thing. Uh, we'll dive into that lake, that camp, Crystal Lake, lake. Um, so, part two came out in 1981, so literally one year after part one. Amazing turnaround. Amazing turnaround. <laughs> Well, apparently a sequel was planned within days after the release because it was like... They a, anticipated it go, doing well. It was an automatic hit. Uh, but this time they got a bigger budget. The budget on this one was $1.25 million instead of you know, less than a million dollars. But the box office was less. It was $21.7 million. So that's a bit of a drop-off. Interesting. Um, so... This was a different director. Uh, uh-huh. Sean Cunningham did not come back because he did not think that Jason should be the villain. He thought that it was a stupid idea. <laughs> Which That's very interesting. That Apparently he... a lot of people thought felt that way because Savini did not return because he did not think that Jason was a good choice for the villain as well. Um. Uh, I mean, this opens up a conversation, which I would love to dive into like in an in-depth discussion, but it's kind of like, it's very interesting. It's kind of like a Halloween conversation where it's like you open up the one, you look at the one film and you're like, here it is. This is it. It's nothing else. Like, here's the conversation. Like you think it's about this, but then it's about that. And here's a kind of a twist at the end. And then the sequels kind of like run with rampant with this other idea. So like, in like I compared to Halloween because it's like Halloween like the sequel introduces this idea that Laurie and Michael are brother and sister, which only runs congruent in, no, it runs congruent in multiple films. Even when Jamie Lee Curtis isn't around, it's like, oh, it's, it's her niece. And now it's like Michael stalking the niece because they're blood related and the other. And a lot of fans feel that that was stupid. And so it finally took them 40 years to nix the idea. Like, Hey, they're not related. So it's like, well, it's interesting when you look at the standalone film versus what the franchise took on and Friday the 13th kind of does a very similar thing. Yeah. Well, originally the idea was that this was going to be an anthology series that would like every Friday the 13th would be a completely different thing. Like Halloween three is like Halloween, different. like Halloween was supposed to be different, but it's supposed to be centered around Halloween. And so, yeah. And it's I, kind of funny that you mention a Halloween that's so based off of Laurie Strode and just their mm-hmm. blood relation, because the director of this movie was Steve Miner, who would end up doing Halloween 2.0. 
to switch to you mean uh, H2O. Sorry. He did um, Halloween Sorry. H2O. Halloween H2O. Which is literally that's the one where Laurie came back. That's the, essentially First this director. Yeah. This is essentially this director just like can't let go of like family relations, is my point. That's really funny. That's actually really funny. Well, it's funny because these movies um they stem from really clever ideas. Like, oh, what if you centered a different horrific thing happening around this one holiday or this one specific day? And yet because fans only, I mean, this is a really, it, it boils down to fan expectation, but because fans only want the one thing, they want the masked serial killer coming back again and again and again. It's funny that both of these franchises got stuck in their own ways. Yeah. Um, Everyone gets stuck when it comes to blood relations. Are you hearing that, Kathleen Kennedy? Like, <laughs> when it, but fans don't know what they want, okay? They don't. They li- blood they relation they know. is never a good idea. No. Never. It only worked with Vader and Luke, okay? Amen. Amen. I'm not saying that the Leia thing shouldn't have happened. I'm just saying, you know, it may have been overkill. Like, that was your one, like, that should have been your final time, okay? That was it, absolutely. That's your final blood relation. You got away with two, you can't ask for more. No more blood relations. I'm tired of tricking audiences into thinking that someone's related to another character and that that has to mean anything. Just tell a goddamn story. (laughs) Anyway, filming for this movie, Friday the 13th Part 2, it filmed in New Preston, uh, Connecticut, which obviously... It's a different camp, which I is really funny. I I don't know about you, but when I was watching this movie, I was like, this camp is so much nicer. Like, no wonder Jason drowned. He went to the shitty camp. The actor played Jason. He had to go to the hospital because apparently G- the actress who played Ginny, like, actually, like, swung the machete at him and cut his finger. Oh, my. God, I, I feel like that was inevitable after after uh, uh, only so much time. Yeah, like I said, they were like using, I, I said this during part one, but they were using like real things. So like he, his, he had to go to the hospital to get 13 stitches and they literally had to give him a rubber finger for the remainder of the shoot, like a rubber thing to put over his finger. That's, that's commitment. Yeah, the actor who played Jason also got rug burn on his face from the burlock burlap sack. Jesus Christ. Uh, the last things I have are about the release. So apparently 48 seconds had to be cut so that it would get an R rating rather than an X rating. Mm-hmm. And, are you talking about the, impa- the double impalement? Yep. My and man. they had to cut out Marta Kober. Uh, Sandra. I was going to mention this. They had to cut out her uh, full frontal nudity because they found out later that she was underaged. So So essentially what I'm hearing is that Paramount has child pornography. I just love the way this is worded. Absolutely they do, or they did, because I love the wording of this. When Paramount discovered that the actress was only 16 Jesus, which Jesus Christ, the nudity was edited out, and the and the film was destroyed according according to the producers. So they literally like mixed this, and it's like I don't know if you know that Al Pacino line in one of the Bad Adam Sandler movies. He's like, 
earn this. He's like, no one must ever see this. I think it's Jack and Jill. Anyway, Josh, you ready to get to the synopsis of Friday the 13th Part 2? I want to say two things. Yes. The burlap sack is a direct reference to the burlap sack killer from the town that dreaded sundown in 1976. Uh, the only difference is that the burlap sack he, uh, Jason wears has one hole uh, versus the town and dreaded sundown has two and the shirt has a slightly different plaid design. That's what they wanted to go for. Also, I want to say the uh, uh, actress who played Alice, Adrian King, re- was willing to reprise her role on the condition that she would appear for a short period of time due to an of an obsessive fan who was stalking her broke into her apartment and thus she had feared for her life. Yes. So she got is, stalked. So that's a wild trivial thing. All right. So anyway, I just want to make a note of those things, but Steven, are you ready to get dive into the plot of Friday the 13th part two? Take it away. A bunch of horny teens return to camp crystal Lake five years later uh, and they are all slaughtered for doing uh, underage horny things. And then a lot of shenanigans happen. And then um, it's revealed that Jason is a uh, son of Pamela Voorhees, is the one killing all these kids. Uh, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, but what's kind of funny is technically, I guess, more people die in this movie. But yes, percentage-wise, are... less people die in this movie because there are more counselors at the bar that don't die. <laughs> I think you're actually right. Um, so ratio-wise, less campers die because at least half survive. Right. Um, uh, so uh, who gave the last award? I don't remember. I think I started. You? No, had I mentioned... did best quote. So tell me, Josh, what's your best kill? All right, um, <laughs> I'm gonna go for the runner-up. Uh, first, I'll mention my runner-up is Alice with the screwdriver or ice pick to the head. That's my I pick. Was, I thought it was a screwdriver. I think later I read it was an ice pick. I don't know. Um, it was a great, great, great cold open to the movie. Um, it's arguably for me, it's arguably the best part of the movie. They build all the suspense. You see Alice. It's 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 a little of what would be represented in Scream over a decade later, almost two decades later, whatever. And it's like, you see Alice, she's having nightmares of the movie before. They're kind of just doing a rehash. Far I guess, too for those. many. It's, the, it's the, a little that was bit ridiculous. too much tuna because it's kind of like, like, you know the fans who had just watched the previous movie are like, we get it. Like, it's almost like they did it for people who would be jumping into this movie without having seen the first one. They literally like I, play the final fight out. The entire final fight out. There's just, it is at there's, least a five minutes. I don't of know the previous the, movie, and this movie is only eighty-seven minutes long. I don't. I was just gonna say I don't know who the editor of this movie was, but they should like not have been fired, but they really should have had like a talking to. Like, like you don't need to show this much of the first movie. You can do it, and even if fans jump into part two having not seen the first one, you can show them the Pamela Voorhees stuff and keep it in two minutes or less. You don't have to dive in. Literally shot for shot, line for line of all of it. The chase sequences, the decapitation, you don't need to do it. Like it I wrote that it literally felt like a sitcom recap. Like you remember in like the 90s when Seinfeld or Friends would have a recap and it's literally like 
five minutes long and it is every joke that they ever did in the previous episode. And right. I'm like, what are you doing? Right, we, we, we get it. it. We get it. So anyway, my runner-up is Alice, um, despite the <laughs> really terrible um, – it's not even exposition. It's just a terrible uh, recap. It's just because they're doing it through her nightmares. I get it. But by the time Alice gets going, she's scared. She's on edge. She's in the place. She opens the fridge. She sees the head of Pamela Voorhees. It's amazing. She gets a screw to the head, and you're like, holy shit. Like, how does this happen? And then it cuts to black, and then you get the – Font hitting the screen with part two. I think it's great. It's wonderful. Anyway. <laughs> What's your pick? My best kill goes to Mark Jarvis, the poor bastard in the wheelchair. Yep. <laughs> I couldn't help myself because I just was the way who the hell made this decision? The poor, poor man who's doing well for himself. He's in the sports jersey. He's doing well. He's flirting with the other girl. They're, 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 they're advancing their relationship. You think it's going to go places. And this poor bastard gets a machete to the face in the rain <laughs> and falls down multiple flights of stairs in the wheelchair with the machete in the face. Oh, my Lord. Brutal it was stuff. really brutal. I couldn't help but just give it to Mark Jarvis, the – uh, the man in the wheelchair. So anyway, uh, but please tell us yours. I think you already said it. Mine is the Alice death because it all, it was just like too funny because honestly it reminded me of like, obviously this is different levels here, but it kind of reminded me of the rise of Skywalker. It's one director telling another director, like, fuck you. I don't care what you did in the last movie. Like, you saved this girl? Okay, now she's dead. Like, <laughs> I don't and that's care. How it, and that's how it feels. Yeah, and I because I don't really care about these movies, like, in general, like, they're funny to me, not really, like, an emotional journey. You don't care about so, the characters. That's my point. Because I don't care about the characters, it's, like, fine that Alice is dead. It's just funny to me that, like, they kept her alive through part one, and then the beginning of part two, she is there simply for exposition of what happened in the previous It's outrageous. And then they just kill her. It's, it's outrageous. Funny. I love it. I think it's a great, I think it's a great cold open. So for my best, let's go to best chase. Oh man. I hope we have the same one. Um, I'm going to go with the cop who once again, <laughs> Jason, <laughs> the villain somehow lures the cop in Deputy Will Deputy Winslow. He gets him into like deep into the fucking woods. It's like ridiculous how far this guy is going. Not even a little bit. This <laughs> man is skipping and jumping through the woods. Literally skipping over puddles and dipping into swamps. It was like ridiculous. That's my kill. That's so that was, chase, I mean, sorry. So that's what I wanted to text you last night. I'm watching this movie. Mind you, I've seen all these movies, and there's little. This is why I love rewatching movies when I've forgotten things. I'm, I'm, watch, I'm watching this movie, and the burlap sack man runs into the woods, and I'm like, "Oh, all right, cool. It's gonna get intense." And then Deputy Winslow 
runs through the woods, and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a chase scene. You don't see the other character. It just keeps, and it's amazing because That's I what feel, makes it so funny, too. Like, you don't see Jason at all. At all. And I love it because I felt like I was watching a, um, who did What Hot American Summer? David Wayne. Uh, David Wayne. You remember when David Wayne, when they did the, um, when, uh, all right, I can do this. Uh, the guy who plays the, sh- the, the cook, um, Chris. Um, oh, Law and Order guy. Um, my God. I know who you're talking about. Uh, Chris Maloney. All right. Yep. So remember when Chris Maloney's chasing the kid and he's like frolicking through the woods and you can't help but like laugh. You know what I'm talking about? In the I, prequel series. I do, I do. First day of funny. So like my mind goes to like Wet Hot American Summer because it's so absurd. This cop is running through the woods and they're playing this psycho style violin and it's like you're supposed to feel like you're scared and this cop is like skipping through the woods like chasing after a character that's not there and I don't know if it was just I was in a certain state of mind or if it was just going on too long but it's just playing the music and that keeps cutting to the cop running through the woods i was laughing so hard i'm like this is gold like again this, is like- this movie is 87 minutes long and we spend at least like five minutes watching this man frolic through the woods it felt like it just wouldn't stop and it honestly i was loving i was loving that it just didn't, I, I was loving it for every minute it went on. Like it just kept cutting to different angles and he's running through the woods and he's so aggressive. And I'm like, this is great. Like this is clearly like the highlight of the movie. And honestly, I'm with you. I can't, the only runner up I have is um, Ginny. I just said final girl. Uh, there's always a final girl in these movies. I said Ginny chasing, um, being chased by a uh, sack rat man through the woods. But that's of course, going with the ending which is obvious but i sack. can't be <laughs> sack rat man it's very covid friendly very very covert he's very masked up i'm very well you know what it is you know what they say okay no one cared about him till he put on the mask <laughs> to quote to quote a, a, a movie we talked about two of our seasons ago or two of our sessions ago um i couldn't beat the cop i can't get past it i love it i think it's the best yeah so tell um, me what's your best weapon the best weapon I so my all right my runner runner up was gonna be the pitchfork but I realized he didn't kill anyone with the pitchfork. No, he, he didn't. He tried. He, I was he. It looked good on him. He didn't use it though. So my runner up was the hammer claw to Deputy Winslow when he gives him uh, after the chase. He goes into the house and he gives him the hammer claw of the of the hammer. Mm-hmm. I thought that was that was fine. Uh, my best weapon has to go to uh Alice in the beginning. I don't know the screwdriver. Uh, the pickaxe. Pickaxe. Uh, no, the no, no, no. The ice. Ice pick. Ice um, pick. I just I love that again. It's because I didn't see it coming, and because it's so sudden, you know, you have this character, and it's just this. It's just brutal the way they show. It's just this. It goes right through the head. Um, I was a big fan. Uh, so I, that's gonna. That's mine. I went with the spear, simply because. My last Respect. pick was the arrow, and this is just like you didn't believe us last time. Well, how about this one? You're never gonna believe this shit. I got it through two people this time. <laughs> Straight up, two people at once. Two that was people. outrageous. Oh man, it is crazy. So, uh, worst character. Uh, you're. Yep. Uh, yes, you're up for worst character. So, or, mo- or most deserving victim. <laughs> I have two runner-ups. I went with worst character, not necessarily best, most 
not necessarily the victim part. Sure, sure. Um, so I said, Terry, uh, like, horrible don- dog owner. Like, Terrible. are you kidding me right now? How like, do you do that to your dog? How do you do that to your dog? So for that reason, I have to say, like, she's on my honorable mention list. Wes Anderson would be proud. I am going to go with Scott as well. That's a runner-up. He was a, just a giant douchebag stealing a skinny dipping girl's shirt. Like, again, not very 2020-friendly uh, character at all. He's like that 80s douchebag. Um, Scott was my number one as well. No, that's not my number one. No. That, oh, oh, Scott was your runner-up. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. Oh, no problem. Uh, my number, my actual answer is Jason. Uh, I just think that they didn't know how to properly use Jason in this movie, and they formulated a man in a burlap sack. And it's just too... There's nothing that makes Jason Jason in this movie. At the end, I guess, when he's like with his mother's head... But that's more about the ambiance that he is in, not who he is. I, I don't know. The Jason just didn't feel very Jasony to me in this movie. So you and I can cut this to the record. We probably won't. But um, I was getting frustrated watching part two last night because I. This is going to sound so stupid, but I actually wasn't going to mention this at all. But now that you said it, I was watching part part two, and I'm like. Again, it's going to sound silly, but the way that the character moves, like yeah. I'm, I'm so used to the Michael Myers stance that Jason would later do. Like you look at Jason in later sequels, it is a slow, still, uh, towering, looming villain that has nothing to it. This Jason, this guy I wa- felt like I want to talk Jonah about Hill this. from. Django Unchained wearing a burlap sack the over his bu- face. I, I know it sounds weird because you and I aren't like we're not directing for actors. We don't know how to tell people how to move. But like watching this character ride on the floor and he's like squirming around a little bit, it almost felt like watching a little kid a little bit. Like and I and I, I don't get me wrong, there are so many levels to these movies as dumb as they are to be able to pick apart this and that. That Jason is a slow deranged deformed character so like i get it like you can you can write off his behavior as a certain way but like it's weird for me to see this character quickly kind of like squirming and writhing and like moving around like a little threw me off like it was bumbling nature it was just very bumbling it was was very strange because when you look at jason especially like around part five or six where like he's just a very still menacing character who does not have quick movements it's very similar to michael myers Mm -hmm. um there's something that I guess all directors, all horror directors realize that that's the terrifying image is the person looming there without really quick movements. And then you watch this and you're kind of like, this feels like a hillbilly character who's escaped from a shed, who's put on a sack, which may be true to the character for this movie specifically, but it does not fit in with the rest of how this character evolves. I was thinking it and I was like, that's kind of maybe I'm just getting to myself a little bit. But now that you've said it, I'm like, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, whenever he got hit with, like, the smallest thing, like, she's, Ginny pushes the car door onto him, and he falls, like, for three it's, minutes. And It's, it's like, very dramatic. He, like, moves in a he, certain he, like, way, and stum- he... He falls and, like, stumbles and, like, convulses, and I'm like, <laughs> this, this isn't Jason. You need to, like, just fall and get your ass back up. 
Right, right, exactly. Jason's supposed to be like a, a, a brick. Like, he falls down and he slowly gets back. It's similar to Michael Myers. He gets back up and he's just kind of, like, moving for the kill again. Like, whereas this Jason, like, it just, it was weird. It just didn't feel, the, the body language didn't feel like the yeah. Jason that I feel like I knew. Um, so it's very funny you brought that up because I wasn't going to mention that at all. <laughs> so uh, you want to talk about Scott, your worst character? My, I have nothing else to say. Scott was terrible. I knew I was he was going to be my worst character from the moment that I saw. But you saw know what? His... Scotty didn't know. Scotty didn't know. Poor, poor one out for a Euro trip. It's a very it's an underrated comedy. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Scotty. I again not 2020 friendly. I couldn't help but laugh at how outdated and how ridiculous it was. But there's the girl. I think it's the only one he's kind of like kind of playing back and forth with. But she's got her short shorts. The ass is hanging out, and they they got the camera on on the, her as she's walking. <laughs> they show the hands in the woods, and you're like, you think it's a fake out, and you're like, oh, is this gonna be a killer? And then he pulls out a slingshot, and he hurls a rock at her ass and she's like she like turns around and he like looks at her and he looks like he's supposed to be like john stamos or the Fonz or whoever and he's got like his open chest out and he's like staring at her and he winks at her and he like disappears into the woods i'm like yo this guy's just it just feels creepy they use the same camera angles for his character yeah that they do for jason's like <laughs> <laughs> like you just said, the slingshot to the ass, that is filmed in first person. That is filmed Absolutely. exactly how Jason's They want you to think go. it's going to be the killer until you see the slingshot and you're like, okay, this isn't the killer. So this it's almost an indictment something. on him. Like, this guy could be a fucking killer. That's how much right. of a douchebag he you is. You want to feel like he's in that same realm. And that's like watching him, I'm like, yo, this guy's got to go. And sure enough, he All did. Right. But Tell me, what's your best quote? Um... Again, maybe cliche. Well, actually, I'm going to go with the runner-up. It's at the end when, um, I don't know if it's Ginny or whoever, it says, Paul, there's someone in this room. That's mine. <laughs> that was my runner-up. Oh, okay. So I, I loved it because it builds the suspense that you'd feel like, in a sense, that you were in a room with anyone in the dark and someone says there's someone in this room. It's a weird way to create fear. And it kind of like, it's one of the rare moments in the, out of these two movies we watch where I'm like, ooh, that's kind of creepy. Like, I really feel like there's another character here. Who, to me, it was more this. comical. That's why I love it. It's literally um, so funny. Like, Paul, there's well, someone in this room. He's right in front of your fucking face. Well, of course, you know, it's he, you say he's right there in the room. I just love the delivery. I love that it's them addressing it in a very subtle way. I thought it was great. Um, the quote I go with, I'm not going to do the whole quote if you want to edit uh, the recording later that's fine but it's it, the whole quote um or the intro to the whole quote is that it's when paul's telling the uh the story around the bonfire he says mm -hmm. i don't want to scare anyone but i'm going to give it to you straight about jason his body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned and they go into the whole like urban myth of, of jason and what i love about it is that this is supposed to be five years later so they're already talking about Jason as an urban legend, like, oh, his body was never found, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it's cool because, like, it kind of sets the mood for what would happen later on in these movies. Like, this is uh, the idea that this Jason character becomes like a campfire story. And yet, like, in these movies, he's someone who actually exists and murders these characters. Um, it was a clever way to kind of bring it full circle. 
Um, I love that monologue, but I feel like it should have been in the first movie because you really, like, you know that there's a killer on the loose, but how much more interesting would it have been if you had heard the Jason story in the beginning and then people get picked off? Oh, I mean, oh, Can, I could, oh, from a filmmaking standpoint, from like a writing standpoint, I completely one, you, agree. You don't find out about Jason until the end when Mrs. Voorhees is explaining his story. So it would have been more interesting if you had heard Jason's tale beforehand and then people get picked off and you go, holy shit, it's Jason, it's Jason. And then all of a sudden, no, it's Mrs. Voorhees. I actually agree with that in hindsight. Like, I didn't think about that aspect watching these this time, but like, it makes sense because what you're doing is you're setting up expectation. Whereas like the first, the first movie, it's like, yeah, the kids get killed off and then it cuts to black and you're like, all right, well, what happened? And then it's like, whatever, it's a couple decades later. And then they start getting picked off again, but there's still no motivation for the audience to pick off of. That's all you're doing. All you're doing is watching horny teens get picked off one by one, whereas that campfire story in part two kind of sets the entire mood for, like, who Jason is. Like, oh, he drowned, but his body was never found. They say he still lurks. Like, it sets the mood entirely for what all of these movies represent. It's It's a masked killer who is fabled about around a campfire and who ends up actually coming out to kill people if they abide by these rules like whatever like i mean that's in the screen yeah, later but that's my i i, I completely if agree. we can get into final thoughts now um because we already did Was my favorite last- quote i feel like if you were to combine part one and part two you would have a movie that is like more solid and uh just better in general because there are aspects of both movies that just like would feel more complete together like I love the I, like we were just talking about the story of Jason being told for in the beginning of the movie let uh, before the campers get killed uh Mrs. Voorhees twist you know at the end of part 2 it's interesting that her head is there yeah it's like i mean they lay out the cult stuff pretty early on so like i see how they played with it but you know part 1 and part 2 are literally carbon copies of one another right it's, literally down to like the ending being the exact same thing we get faked out by a dream of like jason killing someone (laughs) which it worked in the first one it didn't work in the second one like you you get away with that once the Uh, second one was it was it was jarring when he pops out for real i'm like are we really doing this again (laughs) yeah exactly so uh i don't know i just feel like these movies are almost like Mel Brooks wrote them in a way like they're just so they they feel like um what's the word I'm looking for satire of like horror movies that came before it because this Absolutely. is literally a direct ripoff of Halloween there's no oh yeah ends ifs or buts about it like the writer and director have said like we used Halloween as a template we literally said it but I feel like this is just a parody version of it at no point am I really like scared in this movie no no point do i i'm just kind of like they're watching the characters and laughing when they die right right. which makes me feel like 
kind of a sadist, but yeah, yeah, no, but like they're also older and they're, I don't know, it's hard to buy into, but that's the whole point. But yeah, and the sequel more so than the original plays into the notion of like if you have sex, you're gonna die, which I yeah. don't really approve of, but at the same time, like I guess those are the rules they're playing with, right? Uh, I don't know, my final thoughts are together they'd probably make a great movie, but yeah. separately they make two like just fun and fun movies to watch i I completely agree yeah so those Um, are my final thoughts yeah so um i mean like you i think that um i think that these movies complement each other in a way where it's ironic that you and i chose to split them up the way they did the sorry that we chose to split them up the way that we did um because part one is one of those like when you watch Halloween 2, like it picks up the night that the first one left off. I don't really like Halloween 2. I think it's okay. It's got some moments, but like... Not Halloween. Um, what? Oh, no, sorry. No, I, I am talking about Halloween. Like I just gotcha. feel... That, but I feel like part two of Friday the 13th does to part one what Halloween 2 did to um, the first one. And yet I feel like Friday the 13th does it better because like what you're doing is you're almost self-realizing the tropes. Like, yes, it's, it's underage teens uh, having sex and drinking and doing drugs and causing debauchery and it merits their death by whatever, a masked killer. And there's something that excites that in the audience, right? So like, whereas the first one, like you, like you were saying, and like we were both saying, it's kind of like, yes, you, th- the filmmakers involved are literally like we're ripping off of Halloween where, so the first one kind of feels like it's trying a little bit to be a decent horror movie. Whereas even right from the second one, you feel like they're embracing the absurdities a little more. You know what I mean? Um, Just to see Mark, um, Mark Jarvis in the wheelchair, just with the machete, the face stumbling down the, the stairs, like, I don't know if they were trying to be funny, but like it's almost like we want to shock audiences. Part two almost embraced the cliches immediately. I don't want to give it too much credit because the franchise only gets more ridiculous. Um, but I think that what you said is like sums up what I've been thinking is like both these movies go hand in hand where like you almost need them both to form the Friday the 13th experience because neither of them succeed on their own. Neither Friday the 13th Part 1 or 2, I would say, are very good movies. But together, you're like, okay, Pamela Voorhees, she's decapitated. The survivor, she's killed in the beginning. Who's this mystery killer? There's a legend about Jason, Pamela Voorhees' son. Oh, wait, Jason is the killer. A new set of counselors are killed. It almost creates this anthology of a story in its own right, where both films actually kind of create one story. Um, I've seen sequels do that. That's kind of how I feel about like, um, it's a little off topic, but it's kind of like how I feel about like Stranger Things. Like season one is great and season two is good. It repeats a lot of stuff, but season two just brings all of the questions and lingering mysteries about season one to a close. So in a sense for me, like parts one and two feel like they go hand in hand. It's just one giant story. You're the only difference is Friday 13th is like you're doing with a whole new set of characters. But the storylines and the tropes are very much the same. You're just taking the Voorhees family bloodline and you're kind of connecting the dots. Here's, pa- here's Mrs. Voorhees, here's Jason, and here's where they connect. 
it's Camp Crystal Lake and it's murdering these people because of what happened to this kid. Like, and that's not me analyzing it as like a film from a film perspective, but that's that's how I take it away as parts one and two being very complimentary. So it's ironic that we're doing it the way we're doing it because I actually had that experience watching both of these movies. I was like, these go well together. Um, so I'm very excited to see to see them in twos. I mean, I'm cool. I'm very curious to see how they kind of continue uh, in twos. For I'm us. always arcing this shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited. Cool. Uh, um, so I guess that wraps up our discussion about part one and part two. Tell me, Josh, what's your pick of the week? Um. I was going to try and save it for later, but I, I can't think of anything else right now. It's the only thing that feels fitting. I'm going to go with um, Cabin in the Woods from uh, 2012 or I think it's 2012. I think it's um, 2010 or uh, 11 there. I don't, I don't remember. I don't know. I just like, I was thinking of a lot of other slashers and I wanted to do in vain. 2011. Thank Cabin you. in the Woods was 2011. Thank you. So I, originally I wanted to go like with Nolan I was doing COVID friendly movies because it was our first podcast um, with Wes Anderson. I was going with comedies to do something completely different. Um, I don't have a theme for what I'm doing with this, but Cabin in the Woods came to mind. It's kind of the horror movie to end all horror movies. If I were to give a, a newborn a list of horror movies that they were invested in to say, here's how you, you do this. Go with these movies first and these movies. I feel like Cabin in the Woods would be, it's like a finale. It's kind of like this ending to all to the horror movie genre in itself. Uh, the reason I go to it is because Friday the 13th in itself becomes something of a self-aware lampoon of itself. Like, I mean, I don't want much credit. I mean, it's still, even the later, the later sequels are just ridiculous and stupid. But um, I don't know. I think of, a, of Cabin in the Woods, which more relates to Evil Dead, but it's really just this idea that it's, it's, catering to all different kinds of genres and the way they all blend together. And it's an incredibly clever movie. Um, you think of a bunch of uh, horny teens in a cabin in the woods partying and then they all die. And it's kind of like, yes, that's the trope of all tropes of horror movies. And cabin in the woods kind of is a satire of that. Um, I couldn't help but keep going back to it because of how brilliant that movie is because it calls back to multiple horror movies and multiple genres of the horror, um, the, uh, of horror in general. Um, so yeah, it just kept coming back to me and I don't know. Oh, that's a it's, good choice. It's brilliant and I love it. And I, uh, Drew Goddard. Uh, I love, uh, Richard Jenkins in that movie. Hilarious. Richard Jenkins, his deadpan is wonderful and the last like twenty minutes of that movie is bananas. So I'll defend I'll defend it to the end. But please tell the good people at home what is uh, your pick. My pick of the week is Alien, nineteen seventy nine, Ridley oh, Scott. I figure if you're going with a slasher movie, why not go with the best? You know, what is Alien? It's watching uh, a tight group of people get picked off one by one. And with the greatest tagline of all time in space, no one can hear you scream. I mean, it's not like the. It's not a traditional slasher in terms of a, in terms of a serial killer with a with a, a weapon, but. Yeah, so, I mean, a xenomorph is like a weapon, uh, literally with a leg and with legs oh, in mind and acid I'm not. for blood. 
I'm uh, not saying anything against it. It's so good. That movie, I just, I have no words right now because it's just so good. It's so good. That movie, I would love to talk about that movie in depth one day. Yes. But that is my pick. So, as always, you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Phil Mart. And, and I and I promise we'll get some kind of page open at some kind sometime soon. We have to. Have to. Have so just a friendly reminder, next time you go in a lake, check to make sure some kid didn't die in there because he might not be entirely dead. We'll see you <laughs> next time. Thank mm-hmm. you.